Good morning, guys. Hey, let's give it up for the worship team behind me. Thanks, guys, for leading us. Every week, such a blessing. Thank you, guys. Y'all are heroes. Well, hey, good morning again. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, if you are brand new, uh, checking out Antioch, thanks for coming. There's a little uh, Connect card that's in the seat back right in front of you. You can fill that out and then take it to the Connect booth that's right out there in the foyer after service. And we have a gift for you. We'd love to just thank you for coming and shake your hand and greet you and also give you a little gift. So stop by after the service. I uh, got a couple other announcements before we get into the message. So um, a reminder, uh, in the month of March, we are intentionally pushing in, pressing into prayer a lot. So every Tuesday morning this month, we are doing EMPs. Everybody say EMP. All right, early morning prayer. So we've got a prayer room right on the other side of that room. You can see through those windows, uh, 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Every Tuesday morning, we're doing it here at the uh, church building. So come pray with us. I know, just give up one of those Tuesdays. I, I dare you to try it. I think you will not regret it. It's just a powerful time to start your morning off with praying with the people of God. It's pretty powerful, pretty awesome. Um, a couple other things going on. On March 16th, that is two Wednesdays from now, we are doing a big college worship night. So we are uh, excited about this. We're going to be gathering with other believers, really any believer um, that's a college student in Northwest Arkansas. We're inviting them to come and worship and pray with us. That same week, we're going to have a large crew from the Antioch and College Station that's here on their spring break mission trip. And so we're going to gather in this room and have a powerful time of worship. And also we're going to be praying and interceding for God to move on college campuses in northwest Arkansas and all over the nation. So uh, if you're not in college, I'm so sorry, but you're not invited. But invite any of your friends that are college students and tell them they got to be here. All right. Um, uh, let's see. What, one more thing here before we get going. We've got some special guests in the house. We've got a crew from the Antioch in Boone, North Carolina. When, can you all stand up just for a second? Come on. Yeah, heroes. <laughs> hey, keep standing. I know it makes you feel uncomfortable, but we're about to pray for you. So these guys um, are part of the college ministry in the Antioch in Boone, North Carolina, and they gave up their spring break to drive all the way. drove all day yesterday, 13 or 14 hours, right? They drove um, all the way from North Carolina to spend an entire week here in northwest Arkansas serving us, praying a lot, and they're going to specifically be doing some outreach on JBU's campus over in Salem Springs. And I just want to honor you guys. Thank you for giving up your spring break to be here. You had to pay to come and be here, but you're serving us, and it is such a blessing, and we wanted to honor you guys. We also want to pray for them right now that God would bless them tremendously this week, that they would encounter Jesus in really real powerful ways. But also, let's pray that God would lead them to the people that God has already been preparing. We believe there are people that are hungry for more of Jesus, hungry for community on JBU's campus that we haven't yet met, and we want to pray that the Lord would lead them to those people. People, all right, so if you're around them, why don't you get behind them and put a hand on their shoulder real quick. We're going to pray over these folks. You guys can agree with me here. So, Lord, we thank you so much for this amazing group of college students that gave up their spring break to come and be here and serve our city. And, Lord, we pray your favor and your blessing over them. Would this be week be one that they remember for the rest of their life? Would you encounter them in powerful, tangible, memorable ways in Jesus' name? And, Lord, would you lead them to the folks you've already been preparing? Guide them, Holy Spirit. Help them have boldness to have conversations, to pray for people. And, Lord, would you lead them to those that you've already been preparing, the hungry hearts. So we thank you for them. Would your spirit rest on them? And would this be such a fun, enjoyable, memorable week? In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give it up for these guys one more time. Thank you all so much for coming and being here. Oh, incredible. 
Okay, I'm about to invite up Jeremy. Jeremy's going to be preaching this morning. So we're um, wrapping up our last um, part of our series titled Alone with God. And uh, Jeremy will give you a little recap in a second. But just as a reminder, we've been saying it all throughout this series. What a privilege it is that we as mere humans get to interact with and connect with the living God. It's pretty incredible. It's really, I think, one of the ma- most amazing privileges of being a believer, a follower of Jesus, is that we get to know and interact with and connect with God. And so we've been emphasizing that throughout this mu- uh, the last several weeks, and Jeremy's going to wrap it up this morning, helping us and strengthening that place of getting alone with God. You guys ready? Give it up for Jeremy BR. Let's go. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Sorry, my voice is a little raspy this morning, but hey, I got some water. It'll help me out. Good morning, y'all. Congratulations. You made it to church, especially those with young kids. You made it. You're here. You're church. It is harder. It's amazing. Um, I don't even have to do it. I'm just here at 8, and, and Megan, my wife, just she, find, she gets here somehow. It's amazing. Uh, these past few weeks, like Mitchell said, we've been in this series called Alone with God, and Mitchell actually told us in week one that he had an agenda for us in this series, and the agenda is that we want all of us to spend time with God. We want to be a church full of people that seek God seven days a week, that know that church and life group are supplements, not replacements for our personal relationships with God. Y'all want to be a church full of people like that? Awesome. The best way we can do it is to go after it together. None of us have figured out how to be alone with God. None of us have, er, like, arrived at I have a relationship with God. Every relationship that's a good relationship is constantly being invested in. It's never done. And so you're in the right room if you feel like you have some room to grow, but also you have a desire for this. And we've heard some amazing stuff over the past four weeks. We've learned why we spend time with God. We've had an awesome, just practical example of how to spend time with God. We've talked about the importance of the Bible and of prayer in our times with him. And we've heard about, like, the fruit that comes from prioritizing our connection with God. It has been so rich. For those who have been here for any part of this series— How's it going? Has, it, has anything been helpful? Do you feel like you're experiencing any type of momentum or breakthrough in your time with God? Awesome. Okay, okay. Well, I'm excited to share this morning. Um, in the context of this series, I feel like we've had an amazing on-ramp into a thriving devotional life. And what I want to do today is highlight some different roadblocks that could try to get in the way and stall your momentum in that ramp, okay? Some things that could get in the way, and I'm going to share some tips on how to avoid those roadblocks. So I'm titling this message, Troubleshooting Your Time with God. Does that sound good? Cool. So you might not feel any of these things, but I'm going to try to give my just quick two cents, not knowing any of your specific situations personally, but just generally speaking, if you were to feel a couple of these roadblocks, what might I say is some encouragement, some feedback that might help you navigate that, um, and hopefully we can all walk away with at least two cents of an idea of, of how to better navigate that. So here, here are the five roadblocks that I want to dive into this morning. I feel ashamed. I feel pressure. 
I feel stuck, I feel overwhelmed, and I feel inconsistent. Has anyone felt any of these things ever? Awesome. Welcome to church, guys. I told y'all, none of us have it all figured out, but hopefully uh, we are left encouraged, inspired, and practically uh, more able uh, to thrive in this area in our life. So I'm going to dive in, but before I do, I'm just going to pray real quick. Lord, I thank you uh, that you know how to meet with us. God, would you teach us how to meet with you? God, I thank you that nothing that could get in the way um, of us seeking you wins. Nothing has power over you coming, revealing yourself, meeting with us, making us more like you. And so, Lord, would you show us how to overcome uh, and how to thrive in our alone time with you, in our personal relationship with you? Would it be our favorite and best and healthiest relationship? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's start with I feel ashamed. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand at each one of these roadblocks, okay, but I'm just going to talk into them. I feel that shame especially earlier on in our getting alone time with God, can really be the primary way that the enemy will try to pull the rug out from under us. It often sounds like self-condemning thoughts, like, what am I even doing? Or, I'm such a phony. I don't belong here. Why would God even once have a relationship with me after all these bad things that I've done or after I just can't get this right? It could also be well into our lives as believers Thoughts like, I should have this figured out by now, or I just don't hear God like so-and-so, or like these people do. I just don't understand the Bible like these people do. No matter the phrase, shame basically attacks our identity and makes us feel like because of who we are, we are therefore inherently lesser, inherently helpless, just inherently less able to have alone time with God. And it causes us to give up before we even start. But here's the thing, y'all. The same thing that the enemy uses as an accusation, God uses as your qualification. The same thing that the enemy uses as, your, as an accusation, God uses as your qualification. The reality that you're not enough. The reality that you don't have it all figured out. The reality of your sin and your mistakes the reality that you're not like anybody else. This is precisely why you belong in the family of God and precisely why you belong in alone time with God. You are, you are exactly who Jesus came for, and you are perfectly in need of a savior, of a redeemer, of a counselor, and of a friend. The trick of shame is to make you think that you should be different than you are to be in a different place than you are. But God made you how you are, and he wants to meet with you exactly where you are. I pulled a few scriptures together that um, if you've ever felt shame blocking your alone time with God, you could write these scriptures down or take a picture of it. I'm not going to read them all this morning. But if you feel ashamed, these are a couple good starting points of some truth uh, that can help you. Because I would say if you feel ashamed that probably the block is related to something about your belief about God or your belief about yourself. And you'll see that theme uh, in the next roadblock as well. But let me just read a chunk of Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live 
when you follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up. We didn't get up. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, even our faith, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Even our faith is God's gift to us. Is this encouraging or what? Not only do we all fall short of who we think we should be by now, but we were all by nature objects of wrath. Yikes. But what? But God. He, because of his love, because of his mercy, he made us alive, he raised us up, and he seated us with him even when we were still dead in our sin. In other words, your closeness to God is not and has never been threatened by your sin. In your sin, he made you alive and he seated you with him. And why, why did he do this? So that you would have it all figured out by now? So that you would finally start living up to it? He did this so that one day he would show the world how kind he is. That he would love us. Are you, like, this is hilarious. What, read that verse again. Okay. In order that, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Okay, so he's going to show in the coming ages the incomparable riches of his grace. And how is he going to show that? Expressed in his kindness to us. So the more that you're falling short, the kinder that you are proving God to be to the world. Is that crazy or what? Like, there's going to be a day when people are like, man, I can't believe God. Like, why would there be evil in the world like what about this and he wasn't there for me and this and oh God loves Jeremy he's kind of Jer- Ooh, that's yeah he must be a good God <laughs> that's the testimony we get to be a part of guys so whatever it is that makes you feel ashamed it isn't creating a wedge between you and God the only thing that creates a wedge is shame itself we are free to seek him and we are not disqualified now let's contrast that with feeling pressure. So often we feel pressure when we think that our religion, our, our disciplined adherence to certain behaviors, is critical to our acceptance and redemption from God. Shame is often the result of us feeling condemned for our shortcomings, but pressure is often the result of us trying to maintain our sense of self worth or self-righteousness we might feel pressure regarding how good we're doing with getting alone with God 
How long are they? How consistent are they? How many verses or chapters do I read each day? How many things do I pray for? And we might also internalize stress, even more pressure, because we think that our right standing with God is constantly on the line. Like whether he's happy with me or not today, whether I can live righteously and say no to sin today, it's all conditional on my performance in spending time with God. That is a lie, but it causes us to feel pressure. We think that if I get good time with God, I'll be a good Christian today, and God will like me today. If I don't, then I won't, and he won't. And you know what's so interesting? When we view our time with God this way, we would think, right, that we would have thriving relationships with God. Like, surely if you believe that, you would never miss a day. But in reality, it actually hinders our walk with God. The reason is it, pu- it pushes us away from God because it creates a false representation of God's character and it creates a false representation of our ability. I'm going to try to illustrate this point in story form, okay? My freshman year of college, this is probably what all of us were doing freshman year of college. But I, I, I had a really strong desire to be right with God. I wanted to seek him. I wanted to know him. And I wanted to take big strides. I didn't want to get a little closer to God this year. I want to, like, ascend the holy mountain of holies. And I want 80-year-olds coming to sit at my feet a year from now because I'm going to find God, okay? <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, I got to get my disciplines in order. I got to make sure that I'm, I'm getting everything there is to, to God. And so I decided to add some pressure to encourage me to spend as much time with God as possible. And the way I did that, to help me stay on my A game, I had this this perfect idea. It's called a slap bet. Y'all ever heard of a slap bet? I had a friend who was a junior, six foot three, massive hands. And I said, look, Nick, here's what I'm going to do. Here are my things. Here's what I'm not going to do. Here are my things. If I ever fall short... I'm going to call you, and you're going to come over, and you're going to slap me across the face as hard as you can. Do you love me or not, Nick? (laughs) Nick was very uncomfortable, but I got him to agree to the slap bet. And so I'm thinking, okay, that's definitely the last time I ever make any mistake ever in my life. Because I'm not a fighter, okay? I was not very good at football in high school because it hurt. You know, I'm like, there's... There's no way I'm going to let myself get struck across the face by this massive man. (laughs) But that fear, that pressure did not lead to breakthrough. I hopefully will never forget, but maybe hopefully I will forget. The first time I had to call up Nick. I said, Nick, I need you to come slap me in the face. Here's what I did. Okay, so we meet up in another friend's dorm room. You know, we're texting, you know, what time you got a class? I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I feel terrible. Here we go. I'm like, all right, Nick, hit me. Do it. Here we go. Wait. Ah. Deep breath. And then this pit in my stomach happens, and I'm like, that wasn't as hard as he could. And I told him. He has to slap me as hard as he could. I said, Nick, again, 
same cheek. You know, biblically, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. I said, no, same cheek. It's going to hurt worse. I said, Nick, I need you to slap me as hard as you can. That was the bet, okay? Put my cheek out there. Here we go. Wham! Ah! Ah! Okay. And then I just kind of put my, put my eyes up just kind of halfway. I don't even really want to make eye contact with them. And I said, Nick, was that as hard as you can? And I knew by his face, I'm like, Nick, again, you slap me. And you slap me as hard as you can. This is for my relationship with God, Nick. <laughs> and your integrity is on the line, too. And I'm just, at this point, I'm tremoring because it, it did hurt bad both times and worse the second time. And I know it's about to hurt even worse, okay? And so I'm just, I'm just shaking, and I'm like, before the slap can even come, wham! Ah! And it feels like my face is on fire. And literally tears just start coming out of my eye. And I'm like, that was enough. Okay, enough. Woo! How y'all would think, right? That was probably the only time that that needed to happen, right? Guess again. Nick and I got to bond multiple more times over the course of a semester until eventually I called off the bet. And here's why I called it off. It's not because I just couldn't do that again, although I'm glad that I wouldn't have had to do that anymore. But my disciplines... My spiritual growth that I was wanting to accelerate, it was actually doing worse than before this bet ever started. And simultaneously, my relationship with God was becoming noticeably warped. Like, I, I was viewing him as cruel, as punishing. Even though I knew that he wasn't, I couldn't help but feel like he was because I was being that. And here's the point. I share this to say, one, don't try this at home, okay? And two, you cannot pressure yourself into a thriving alone time with God. I love the way Paul phrases it when he asks the Galatian church. In chapter 3, he says, Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? In other words, if you know that you can only be saved by faith, why do you think that after being saved, now the rest is up to you? No, the before, the during, the forever of our Christian life is dependent on God, not ourselves. Here's some scriptures that you can write down or take a picture. Again, if you feel pressure, I just kind of reference that first one in Galatians for the sake of time, I'll hit on an example from Luke 18. In it, Jesus shares a story of two people who went up to a temple to seek God in prayer. One of them was a spiritual person. In his prayer, he thanked God that he was a spiritual person. Thank you, God, that I'm one of your people. Thank you that I'm able to live righteously. In the context of our sermon series, it might sound like, thank you that I'm doing well in this area of my life, that I have an alone time with you. Thank you that I do it pretty consistently. I have a good understanding of the Bible. Thank you that my times with you have strengthened me and, and matured me. Then there was this other person who went up to the temple. 
He was a tax collector. In verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance from the temple. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. For us, in the context of our sermon series, it might sound like, God, I don't even deserve to be here. I have no strength. I have no knowledge. I have no resume. Nothing I can do would ever impress you. And God, I've spent so much of my life rebelling from you. God, you owe me nothing. But please, show me mercy. Please, reveal yourself to me. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what's the point? There isn't pressure on our performance. If anything, there is pressure on our humility to not trick ourselves into thinking that this is up to us, into thinking that we deserve some type of credit or honor for how good we're doing in this area, or to think that we're earning anything. The reality is we could spend 24 hours a day seeking God, but we can only know God if he reveals himself to us. And remember, which prayer did God like? Which person was justified before God? The one who performed? No. So there's no pressure to spend time with God. There's just an opportunity to humbly express to God a desire to know him more. We spend time with God as a humble expression, a prayer put into action, a desire to know him more. Feeling ashamed and feeling pressure, these are both kind of related to our beliefs about God. These next two themes I want to troubleshoot with you guys, <coughs> feeling stuck and feeling overwhelmed, they're more so like practical issues uh, that maybe I can give a couple tips for. So I feel stuck. The best way I could describe this feeling it's like you're just going through the motions. It feels dry. You're not seeing progress. You don't feel like you're getting anything out of your times with God. And my question is, is this normal? In other words, is it just a part of the Christian life, something we should accept, something that is meant to be very regular? What do y'all think? I would say it's, it's common it's, I mean, it did make my top five list of roadblocks, okay? But I'd say, no, this is not normal Christian life. Just like I could ask you, is it normal to be sick? It's like, well, definitely we do get sick sometimes. Yeah, you might feel stuck sometimes. But if you were just sick 364 days of the year and one day you feel healthy, I would say that is not normal. 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 18 describes a normal Christian life. It says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, not just the chosen, anointed, priestly, church, pastor, people, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing likeness which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the normal Christian life is that we have freedom 
to get face-to-face with the glory of God that transforms our very beings such that we become more and more Christ-like for as long as we live. The Christian life is also full of trials and suffering, yes, but even in these difficult seasons, our spiritual life, our connection with God, can be and should be burning ever brighter. I don't say this to make anyone feel less than. You're not so terrible if you feel stuck. I say this because I'm trying to give you a tip if you feel stuck, which is that the number one way this roadblock of feeling stuck will keep getting in your way is if we give it permission to stay there. If we drive on the road and there's this one lane, just huge barricaded, it's like, yep, that's, that's the lane that there's just a big pile of trash. You can't drive on that one. If we just feel stuck, like, yep, yeah, I just feel stuck. Well, it's, pr- it's probably not going to move itself, you know? How do we get unstuck? It could look like a whole lot of things. My best tip that I could give you is to think about other relationships in your life where you have felt stuck. Have you ever felt stuck or in a rut with a friend, a roommate, a family member, a spouse? Has anyone ever felt stuck in any relationship ever? Kind of dry, not really clicking, kind of going through the motions, some type of wall. If so, what did you do? Maybe you had a heart-to-heart where you just got it out in the open, like, I feel stuck. I feel like we're not getting anywhere. Maybe you sought understanding. Maybe you apologized for being selfish. Maybe you did something fun or memorable. Maybe you reminisced, walked down memory lane, thought about some of y'all's favorite times together. Maybe you planned some type of gift or surprise for them. The list could go on. My encouragement is to consider how you could apply these same principles to your relationship with God. After all, in John 15, 15, Jesus says he calls us his friends. Ephesians 5, 32 says that marriage is just a picture of the relationship Jesus has with his church. Ephesians 2 says we are members of God's family and of his household. So, just as we would in those earthly relationships, have a heart-to-heart with God. Mix things up in your time with him. Do something fun or big or memorable spiritually. Think about the history that you have with him, the times where he has met with you or saved you or encountered you in some way. Engage your personality and your desires, not just treating your relationship like a textbook or a formula. Whatever it takes. But ultimately, you'll have the answer, and you can seek the Lord for an answer of how do we get unstuck. And if you take it too far, where you're just forgoing any sense of rhythm or discipline in the name of feeling free and alive, you may end up at our next roadblock, feeling overwhelmed. And specifically, I mean feeling overwhelmed about alone time with God. Like, when, where, how? Do I read the Bible chronologically? Do I read it back to front? Should I just stay in the New Testament? Do I read a chapter a day or five chapters a day or one kind of passage a day or just five verses at a time? Do I read Christian books as well? What topics should I read on? What authors can I trust? What about podcasts? How long should I do worship? What types of worship bands do we worship to? Which some, 
what should I mainly avoid some of those words? What about prayer? Should I pray for whatever's on my heart, or should I have a prayer list? Should it be like every day the same prayer list or different days? What about journaling, rest, meditation, thankfulness, declarations, inner healing, decision-making, planning, brainstorming, personal development, confession and repentance, fasting, growing in my spiritual gifts? There's too many things to do, and I don't know what to do. If this is any of you in the room, the first thing I would say is breathe. <laughs> Just breathe. It's okay. But the other thing is you probably need some more structure. You should not be trying to make all of those decisions every day in your time with God that day. And think about it. No matter where you are on the spectrum of spontaneity to planning, nothing else in your life is that unstructured. Your work, your schooling, your family, eating, sleeping, even your weekends, there are built-in rhythms and responsibilities that stabilize and optimize your life. None of y'all wake up and you're like, what should I do? Should I eat? Should I, should I snooze? Should I go to work right now? Or should I shower first? Or like, I don't, like, <laughs> call my mom? Like, what if my mom's asleep? Like, y like you know, you kind of have a rhythm you don't consciously think about every single moment and everything else you could be doing in this moment. When it, it might take some time to develop some of those rhythms. A lot of them, your parents probably helped you develop, like brushing your teeth and eating breakfast. But some of them, with your work or kind of how you handle different parts of your day or relationships, maybe you've had to spend some time establishing what those rhythms are. But it's worth it because with them come peace and fruitfulness and with them comes an opportunity to be spontaneous, to go outside of the mold. And you can perceive it as spontaneity because you have a rhythm. If you don't have a rhythm, you don't have spontaneity. You just have chaos. Even young children who, compared to adults, you know, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, much less organized, much less disciplined, right, than even the most spontaneous adult out there. Even young children thrive with a sense of rhythm and normalcy. When you get them outside of normal, they start acting worse, and it's more taxing for them. It's why, part of the reason why holidays are stressful, because kids have a harder time. with Oh, different place, different people, and, and I'm eating some of the same stuff. I just don't, this is not my life. But when it's at home, sweet little Beckham's like, I'm going to put this right there put this right there like he knows where things go and he's loving it as it relates to your spiritual life put some premeditated thought into it maybe some things you want to do every time every day with God you want to sing one song and you want to read one passage maybe that's not all you ever want to do with God though so maybe on certain days of the week then you do blank maybe you have one day that's like a, a rest and stillness day and on Sundays, that's what you do. Maybe, maybe on Wednesdays is like your big prayer day, and you spend more time praying than just the normal time you would spend praying. Maybe there's some things you do on a certain part of the month. First, first day of the month, I want to fast. Or maybe a certain part of the year. Maybe, like for me, in the summer, I'm like, okay, this, this kind of six-week period, this is like ask God for vision and reflect and get feedback and kind of personal growth and what's he saying and direction, clarity, and then the rest of the year, I just do what I felt like he said, and I'll take any feedback and, uh, and think about it next summer, you know, in terms of I feel like God's saying blank. It's like, well, great. 
but I'm already living in something that I feel like God's saying. The homework you have is to figure out what those rhythms are. And I'm sure anyone in your life group would love to brainstorm with you. Let's work together to make our alone times with God as good as they can be. This last area, feeling inconsistent, it's not really a problem of what you believe. It's not really a problem of, like, practical things. It's more an issue of priority. Now, if you feel inconsistent, how you define that is up to you. But basically, it's just feeling like you're not getting enough with God. Not in a self-condemning way, not like you're judging yourself, but like, man, I want to be spending this much time with God, but I'm only spending this much time with God. I want to spend time with God seven days a week. I'm only spending time like three or four days a week. And while this is also a common experience, I think it's one that we can misdiagnose pretty easily. I know for me, I would beat myself up as a college student feeling like, man, like I missed another day. As if like if I had wanted it better, I would have gotten it. Like what's going on? Like my, is my discipline just too low? Am I not hungry enough for God? Like my willpower? Like how long am I going to be in this inconsistency? Like maybe one day I'll be more mature and I can finally like get this seven days a week like the pastors do. And I'd, I'd wonder like when am I going to be able to get this down? And if you've also felt this way, my question is, are you putting yourself in position to have consistent quality time with God? For example, you're not so unspiritual if you always snooze your alarm. You're tired. You're not so unspiritual if you can't have a quality time with God while also watching a video or scrolling through social media. You're a normal human being. You're not so unspiritual if you have too many things on your plate and you're so busy and it's hard to have space to consistently have time with God. You are an American. <laughs> when I was in high school, I ran cross country. Uh, we had practice every day after school. And it was very often that I was having to grip my way through either side stitches or shin splints. And I, I had... What had a pretty high pain tolerance. I would run as hard as I could. I'd try to grit my way through it, but it, both of those just kind of get worse the more that you keep running. And no matter how much I would try, my mile split times would suffer when I had shin splints or side stitches compared to when I was healthy. Now troubleshoot this problem with me. Was my mile time suffering because I just couldn't overcome the pain and I just needed to dig deeper to try harder? Or was it suffering because I habitually ate like trash, I never drank water, I drank a gallon of Dr. Pepper a day, and I absolutely never stretched? And therefore, these pains existed in the first place. Do y'all see what I'm getting at? Like, there was certain disciplines or behaviors outside of just running at practice that I needed to embrace if I was going to optimize my experience as a runner. The issue of inconsistency is not willpower, it's priority. Outside of your time with God, what are you going to do to plan for, prepare for, and protect your time with God? If we want to thrive in having a personal relationship with him and getting alone with him, there are necessary implications in other aspects of our life that we have to embrace. So if you're tired, well, what time would you have to go to bed in order to be fully rested when you wake up? If you went to bed at 8 p.m. sharp every day, do you think you would snooze more or less than you currently do? 
Now, some of you are like, well, I can't because of this and this, and that's so ridiculous. And Well, is it ridiculous? First of all, if it was your top priority. And second of all, all the reasons why you can't are those reasons you're comfortable embracing for the next 30 years. I'm like, yeah, I just didn't get time with God because it because blank. I had this show or this conversation or this responsibility. Or, you know, what media platforms would you have to turn off or unsubscribe from in order to get quality time with God? Y'all might feel this in your roommates or spouse relationship as well. Like, man, we're not getting a ton of time connecting. I'm like, okay, well, if hypothetically neither of y'all had any social media accounts or any media streaming services whatsoever, do you think you would still struggle to have times talking to each other? Maybe you would, but maybe you wouldn't. And you could say, well, that's so ridiculous. Again, it could be ridiculous. Or it could just be your number one priority that you're not willing to compromise. Or if all these things you're doing and you can't do it all, there's too much time, you don't have enough time, is there anything you're doing that you don't have to be doing? They're all good things that you're doing, but are, are there any of them that can wait three months? Are there any of them that you can empower someone else to do? Are there any that you could just delete completely that don't need to be a priority in your life in order to free up space to be present mentally for your time with God? I just want to encourage you, if you're feeling inconsistent, to make some of those changes. You don't have to literally go to bed at 8, but it's like, if this was the number one priority for me, what would that imply for other aspects of my life? Because if you, if you just try to add, like you're just living your life normal, and then, okay, now I'm following God extra hard, and I want to start spending time with God, let me just add that 45 minutes into my morning. It's like, well, it's what were you doing? You weren't just like sitting with your thumbs twiddling for 45 minutes, and then one day someone's like, I know what you can do at that time. Like, no, you have to make space. You got to make some changes to your life if this is going to enter into your life as a normal rhythm. And I just want to encourage you that it is worth it. For me, it has been the game changer for my life to have alone time with God. My understanding of God and of myself and of the world, it is all birthed in this place. My level of peace and joy and love, it all comes from this place. Every important decision I have ever made, from where I go to college to whether I should ask out Megan, every vocational decision, every location where I live, clarity has always come from this place. How to steward my time and finances and abilities, it all comes from this place. Every good or creative idea I have ever had, it has come from this place. Conviction of sin, grace to repent, I find it in this place, alone with God. My sense of contentment and security, of personal encouragement and affirmation, it is this same place. How I parent, it is in this place. Forgiveness, healing, trust, this place. The most intense emotions I have ever experienced on every emotional spectrum you can think of, they have all happened in this place. My favorite, most enjoyable, most marking moments in my life have all happened alone with God. And that's all very true. I didn't just decide to lie to you because we have a series called Alone with God. We serve a good God, and he is worth spending time with. So as the band comes up, 
my question for us as we close out this series, is spending time with God a top priority for you? And as you consider that, I just want to remind you that the reason we exist is to have a relationship with God. Eternal life is to know God. The Bible is true and useful, and it reveals to us who God is. God speaks, and we can hear his voice. When we abide in God, we will bear much fruit, but apart from him, we can do nothing. God delights in us, and he enjoys spending time with us. God knows us better than anyone else, and he loves us. God is more fulfilling than anything else in the world. The more that we seek God with all our heart, the more that we will find him. The more that we ask of God, the more that we will see God answer prayer. And the more that we see these evidences of God, the more that we will believe all those things I just said, and the flywheel will keep on going. So as we go into worship, we're going to put that slide up that I showed at the beginning of these five different roadblocks to spending time with God. I just want to encourage you to consider if any of them stand out to you in particular. And if so, I'd love to invite you to receive prayer. We're going to have some different leaders kind of up here or just anywhere. Um, but life group leaders, you can come up, and staff, you can come up. If everyone's taken, then ADS students, I would love for some of y'all to come up, and you can come across the front, too, if you want. I'd love anyone that wants to receive prayer to receive prayer, and you can say, hey, I feel this roadblock stood out to me. Will you pray for me? That's all you really need to say. The goal is we want to help each other have a thriving alone time with God. But regardless of whether you receive prayer or not, I just want to encourage us, let's prioritize this place. We're not going to keep talking about this every single week for 45 minutes. Okay, so this is your moment. Say, yes, God, I want a thriving alone time with you. Am I willing to do what it takes to prioritize it? Maybe I shouldn't eat junk food if I know I'm going to go on a run. God, what do I need to change in my life to make this a priority in my life? Let's worship God, the God who's worthy of being worshipped of, worshipped on Sunday and on Monday and on Tuesday and every day of the week. I'm going to pray. God, I thank you that you are a good God and that you're with us. And Lord, I just pray that you give us grace to seek you, to prioritize our alone time with you. And would it be a thriving time? Would it be the time that everything else flows from the most important piece of our life, the most valuable piece about who we are, the, the, the well where everything else springs from? God, would it be alone time with you? In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to stand up. We're going to go into a time of worship as we respond this morning.